All right, so we're going to get into a message today. You're going to need a Bible somewhere around you if you're brand new. There should be a Bible under the seat in front of you. In a moment, we're going to be turning to the book of Exodus. But on your handout sheet that was given to you, we have a fill-in-the-blank that I'm going to draw your attention to in a moment. I entitled today's message, The Beauty of Mystery, and we are launching a brand new theme for 2022 today. And next week, we kick off our first series of that year. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this concept of mystery. Everything I'm about to share in this message and this coming year is predicated upon an assumption. You ready? And I don't know if you want to write this down or you just want to soak in it for a moment, but here you go. God is infinitely more brilliant than we are. Yeah? Yeah, I know that most of you are shocked by that. Uh, God is infinitely more brilliant than we are. And now the reason why that actually needs to lock into our spirit is many of us aren't living like it. Here's what I mean. We still take God's word under advisement. That is improper. Uh, If we are still responding and saying, I'll think about it, then somehow you have not understood he is king. No servant would ever say, I'm going to consider what my master tells me. You just say, yes. Many of us are still living like we know how to run our lives better than God does. We consistently pray and tell him, but God, I've got this one. If I need your help, I'll ask. Something's wrong with that mindset. God is infinitely more brilliant than we are. I was recently uh, preparing some notes for uh, one of my friends that, in this church that passed away recently, and I knew that he loved adventure and examining the world that God created, and I found this. Recent estimates by scientists, according to the reports from the BBC, are that this planet Earth contains 8.7 million species of animals. Even more interesting is they believe the vast majority of them are not discovered yet, and it would take more than 1,000 years to catalog them. If we have a God who, after all the time on this planet, has front-loaded it so heavily with variety and creativity that we can't find all the stuff after being on this planet this long, he's created. Yes? And if we start tracking on it with estimates, and they're estimating based on how much we're discovering every year, they said once we discover them, it would take over a thousand years to record them down. That's the God we serve. God is infinitely more brilliant than we are. Quick show of hands. Uh, how many of you grew up in the church? You've kind of been there as long as you can remember. Anybody grow up in the church? Yeah, yeah, a whole bunch of you. All right. Uh, n- another thing, quick show of hands. How many of you are Bible nerds like me that would win a Bible trivia game? Anybody like that? Yeah, you, some of you? Okay, all right. Uh, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you for a moment. Here is five questions about the Bible you don't know. You don't know the answer to these. Now, this is sheerly to embarrass you. You ready? Here we go. Number one, do angels have work hours? What I mean is they're off time. In other words, how free are they in their lives to be on assignment? 
Is it that God says, I want you to do that, and what happens when they're done? Is there break time, right? Do you have any idea? No, of course you don't. Number two, why did God choose the plan of the fall and redemption that he did when there are infinite other possibilities? Why that one? I don't know. Number three, how many dimensions has God created and will he make more? Number four, how did Jesus feel about his assignment from the Father or not getting married or being misunderstood or being an unknown king? How did he feel about that? Well, I don't know. Number five, how many stars are there exactly? I'll get back to you on that. Yep, you better start counting. How many planets, how many neutrons, how many atoms? Do you understand? We don't know these things. God knows these things. God is infinitely more brilliant than we are. The Bible says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind conceived what God has planned for us. He is operating on an entirely different level than we are. And that's very, very important. This concept is very difficult for those of us that have been raised in a Western civilization mindset. When I talk about Western, I'm talking about as opposed to an Eastern mindset, the East of the world on a ball seems a little weird that there's an east and a west. Is that correct? I mean, other than you flat earth folks, that the idea, the idea that we're a round ball and we have an east and west is a little bit weird. But what I mean by that is that the east would be Asia, it would be Middle East, right? That when we talk about a Western mindset, very close to that was Europe and how it influenced North America. Now, the Western mindset was predicated on the idea of logic and reason and science and discovery. That we want to know all the answers to everything. We live believing that whatever is there is explainable. And that leads us into a challenge every time we come into the Bible. The Bible is not written from a Western mindset. The Bible is written from an Eastern mindset. And the East is much more peaceful with mystery. They're much more comfortable with deity. They're much more comfortable with supernatural. And we in the West are not. So we collide when we hit the Bible. Because when it starts saying things and not explaining them, we freak out. Right? Do you realize that the author of Genesis was completely fine with having one whole chapter at the beginning that is one beautiful poem talking about God creating the heavens and the earth. But we read it by analyzing it. Well, this should have been happening. Well, this is clearly six days of this, and we can do that, and we start arguing about it. The East doesn't care. They just go, our God is great and mighty, and look at the beauty that he's created, and I'm going home now. And they're completely cool with that. Now, I personally am not only Western, but I'm analytical. That puts me in a huge problem because I do want to analyze everything. But I got to tell you, the Bible does not tell us everything. God could never explain everything to us, right? Hmm. You see, the universe is complex because God gives us both consistency and the ability to grasp high-level concepts, we believe it's all knowable, but it's not. It never will be. Unfortunately, because of our mindset, we shy away from anything untestable, untrackable, and we relegate them to make-believe. 
In other words, if we can't figure it out, it must not be true. I think that's a big mistake. See, Jesus blew people's minds his whole entire earthly life. You guys know after the birth narrative, the next story is him at 12 years old. Is that correct? And 12 years old, anybody remember this story? At 12 years old, his parents lose him. Now you have to understand, God should have picked better parents. <laughs> right? If there's any kid you want to lose, it's not the son of God. That's a terrible idea. Right? Maybe they're thinking, we'll have more. I don't know. But they left him, and he was gone. Now, I need to pause right here. It was, I don't want to say I'm exactly like Jesus. All I want to say is my mom left me at Rayleigh's when I was young, and she needs to be shamed. <clears throat> I had to call her on the phone, and she said, oh, Lance, are you at your friend David's? I said, no, I'm at Rayleigh's. You left me here. And she said, oh, dear, and came back and got me. Once again, another thing that me and Jesus have in common. Jesus was found for multiple days hanging out in the temple talking to the leaders. It says, and they were amazed at his understanding and his teaching at 12 years old. Well, sure enough, as he kicked off his ministry, we see stories like this. This man is paralyzed and these buddies lower him down in front of Jesus. He heals him and they get to, he gets to walk out. The people said, we are amazed we've never seen anything like this. And you go, yeah, 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 back in the ancient day, weird stuff happened all the time. No, it didn't. That was weird. And they knew something was different. Then all of a sudden, a guy named Jairus comes up to him. He says, will you minister to my daughter? She's dying. And along the way, she dies. Jesus goes in anyway and he says to them, don't worry, she's not gone. And they all mocked him. Clearly, you don't know anything about biology. You don't know anything. This, this child is dead. She's not coming back. Death is a one-way door. And Jesus said, we'll see about that. Walked into the room, put everybody out, raised her back to life, and walked out. And he said, you know, the door kind of swings both ways. <laughs> As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to do that with Lazarus. I'm going to do it myself. Man, everybody's kind of coming and going and coming and going. And and they didn't know what to do with that. But then they decided to test him. So they brought to him a blind and mute demon-possessed man. Now, you go, yeah, 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 I know all those stories about Jesus kicking out demons. This one was different. And here's why. They were trying to challenge him about what he would do in an impossible situation. How did they deem something impossible? Because in Jewish religious thought, they believed very strongly in exorcism. That's kicking a demon out. They did that because they believed in the power of God. However, in their theology, the only way to get a demon out was for the person to confess the demon out. What's the problem in this situation? He's mute. So in their opinion, sorry, buddy, nothing we can do for you. Those kind can't come out. Jesus walks up, casts the demon out. And they were like, well, hold up. No, that's like not a thing. Like, you can't do that. He said, well, I just did. But here's what's interesting. Notice what they did next. Well, then you're probably demonic. Isn't it interesting how 
rigid and inflexible religious people are. I find it very disappointing that the longer people are in church, the more they're convinced they're right and they're not willing to grow anymore. You see, the religious leaders and Pharisees said, if you don't fit my theology, you must be of the enemy. And Jesus said, hold up, first of all, your premise is stupid. The whole demons casting out demons can't work because then the whole thing collapses. But second of all, what you're watching is the finger of God. But they said, if we can't solve it, it must be evil. How much of that is still going on today? Ah. You see, that amazement at supernatural didn't stop with Jesus' ministry, did it? We had this thing called Pentecost. Jesus said, I want you to hang out until I send the Holy Spirit. And so one day they're all praying. There's about 120 of them in a room. And a sound like mighty rushing wind, the Bible says, comes in. Everybody can hear it outside the house. They hear it inside the house. Everyone starts tripping out. They open up their eyes. They're looking around. And all of a sudden, boop, 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 all these little tongues of fire or flames start showing up over people's heads. And people are like, oh my gosh, you're on fire. They're like, I know, you are too, right? And then they start talking in other languages that they don't even understand and they spill out into the streets and other people are tripping out and everyone's like, you're drunk. And Peter's like, hold on, this is a Holy Spirit moment. And that was weird. Yeah? And then what? There's this crippled man at the temple that Peter and John see every day when they go to temple. And one day this guy asks them for money because that's kind of what he did. The Bible says he's been laid there since birth. Uh, I mean, he's crippled from birth. He's been laying there every day. And so he said, hey, you guys got any cash? And they said, actually, we don't have any cash on us, but what we have is the power of God. What we have, we give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Do you remember the story? And it said what? And he sprung up on his feet and he went into the temple. You guys know the phrase? Walking, leaping, and praising God. You remember that? Here's why I think that is such a fascinating miracle. I'm not so amazed at atrophied legs being made strong because quite frankly, I've seen it. You know what really amazes me? How did he know how to balance? Yeah. He's never walked. You're telling me that a baby can instantly know how to walk? It's how do you work on these two legs? You've never been on those two legs. So not only were they made strong, but God changed his internal mental reality to not just walk, but to jump and run. Those are higher complex issues. How does he know how to do that? There's stuff that we just don't understand. Stuff like that's still happening. Did you know that? Real quick, show of hands, how many of you have either had or experienced a miracle or an unexplained God encounter? Raise your hand. Yep, look around. It's about 90% of the room. So what we could do is just take a mic and go around and listen to everybody's stories, and I can guarantee at the end of it, you're going to say, I don't know what's going on. Because God is infinitely more brilliant than we are. You guys, I have seen the demonic. I've seen an angel. I've seen healing right in front of my eyes. I've seen lives transformed. 
there are things happening right here, right now, in our midst that you cannot track on, but they're going on. God is infinitely more brilliant than we think. Look at the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. This is the bottom line. If you can wrap your mind around God, it's not God. If you can wrap your mind around God, it's not God. In other words, the minute you get all your theology right, you're wrong. If you think that you know everything about Christianity, you know how this world works, you know everything about where God's going to go and what he's going to do, then I would say you're sorely mistaken. There is so much more. We may not know everything, but how amazing that God reveals any of it to us. Do you understand there are things in the Bible that you still don't know? Do you realize there are still things in the Bible that we are discovering? Do you realize there are elements of Christianity, how we can walk in the power of God, how we can walk in the authority of God, how we can walk as supernatural beings naturally? There is so much that we can learn together. Welcome to 2022, the year of discovery. We are going to spend the entire year getting our minds blown if you are interested in coming to a church where you are always reaffirmed that you know everything, this is not the church for you. This is a place where you're going to come in conflict and realize, I don't know how that fits into my theology. I don't know how it fits into my systems. I don't understand what that means. And that's the point. Every week we get together, we're going to try to say, what are we not seeing correctly? What does God see that we're not seeing? How are we living out of alignment with him? What's really going on? And how have we lost our way? We're going to do four major series this year. It's going to cover three Bible books because we're going to break up one into two series. So here's how the year is going to go. We're going to kick it off next week. We're going through the first 10 chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. It is entitled Experiencing the king, excuse me, discovering the kingdom. And what that means is we're going to discover what being the family of God is all about. We learn what the church could be and should be. We discover areas where we're out of alignment in the way that we interact with one another. We follow Paul the apostle as he teaches a church how to have their identity in Christ locked in and not receive it from the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the first series. We follow that up immediately by a series in the book of Exodus. Why? Because in Exodus, we find a people group who have been enslaved for generations. They know nothing other than slave mentality. They've been owned by the Egyptians. Their parents were slaves. Their grandparents were slaves. They always assumed they would be in bondage. And one day, God sets them free and they have to understand a whole new reality of what does it mean to be free. They didn't even know that was a possibility. And now God draws them close, brings them into the desert, and spends 40 years training them in what it means to trust. Because you see, after you've been in bondage that long, how many times have you prayed and God didn't do anything? Do you not develop defense mechanisms? Do you not say, God, I've prayed, and I guess prayer doesn't work? But then one day he shows up, and they have to learn what it means to be a child of God. While we watch their journey, we're going to figure out our journey. Yeah? We follow that up with the book of James. James is one of the most practical, easy-to-read 
Christian books in the Bible, and it's called Discovering Practical Christianity. How do we do it every day, and what areas do we need to go deeper in? We finish off the year by the last chapters of 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 11, in a series called Discovering the Supernatural. We are going to follow the Apostle Paul as he talks about tongues, prophecy, miracles, healing. He starts instructing his church, and he says, you guys, I understand you're seeing a lot of experiences. Do you know what those are all about? Here's how you harness it. Here's how you ride the wave. Here's how you engage with the Lord. Here's how you walk with the Holy Spirit. I can tell you this. This year, you're going to learn stuff you never knew before. This year, you're going to be amazed at who God is. If you need a restoration of awe in your life, this is the year for you. Does this sound fun to you? Amen. Amen, right? Here's a couple other things that we have planned for you. We're going to be focusing a little bit more on sharing our faith with those that we love. Sharing our faith with our coworkers and inviting them to church and sharing it with our family. And, and instead of thinking about sharing our faith of shoving our opinions down somebody else's throat, we talk about presenting the love of Christ and presenting the truth and allowing them to engage with God. We're gonna be talking about how to care for the people around us. A Couple other things. I'm gonna start doing things that just get us together as a family. On Saturday nights after the second service coming up in a couple weeks, I'm gonna start launching uh, these nights just to hang with me in my hobbies. And here's what I mean. I'm gonna grab a bunch of you and I'm gonna say, who likes to, who's interested in drumming, right? That's a part of my life. So we're gonna grab all our drummers in our church and all the friends that they have, and we're all gonna hang out on Saturday night for an hour and a half, have a special guest, and we are going to talk about drumming for an hour and a half. Then we're gonna do a different one where we're all gonna figure out who of us likes puzzles right? We're going to do speed puzzling. You understand what I'm talking about? We're going to th set up a bunch of tables and just start doing a bunch of puzzles together. Then we're going to say, all right, how many of you love acting? All right, we're going to go ahead and do acting and have a special guest come in. The whole point is to be a family together. The whole point is to learn each other's names and to laugh and to joke around. Nothing heavy other than being a family. You guys, this year we're going to have some guest preachers that will blow your mind. Not gonna ruin that one. In the spring, we are going to be doing a rebranding process here at Bridgeway, which means we refresh our logo and we refresh some of our, our, the way that we share things and portray ourselves. And it's been a while since we did that. We ended up signing a contract with a company called Plain Joe Studios. Plain Joe Studios is run by two brothers that are believers. Mel McGowan, the gentleman that we interact with, he was in charge of designing Downtown Disney. If you've ever been to Downtown Disney, that's his baby. He also created the Grand uh, Hotel right there. That was another creation of his mind. He's the one that we went down and hung out with him, and he's going to be walking us through story branding and understanding the bigger picture. How ought we to use our facilities? How do we use our land? We're going to end up creating all of that early this next year. All I'm telling you is Bridgeway is about to hit the gas. We are about to begin to advance. I think it's time, and I sure hope that you'll join me. Yeah? yeah. All right. Praise the Lord. Let's do it.
Here we go. You ready to get into God's word? Go, take out your Bibles. We're in Exodus chapter 15. I'm gonna give you a little snippet on what it looks like to walk through the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 15, if you're brand new in the Bible, it's the second book in, so it's page 57, very close to the beginning. Now, here's your context. Israel has just come out of Egyptian slavery. They just saw their first and most amazing personal miracle, which was the Red Sea parted and allowed them to go through on dry land. When the enemy went in, the water came back, and the Egyptian army was ruined. All right. They are now stepping out into the wilderness for the very first time. And this is where we join the story. Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days into the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the plagues or diseases on you I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. All right, do you know this story? This is one of those little tiny ones that kind of just pop up in, in Exodus, not something that maybe you would track on, but it's absolutely stunning. Here's why. Let's go back through the facts. They're walking into the desert. It is estimated that there may be up to 600,000 people on this journey. Now, you got little ones, little kids, you got adults, you got older folks, you got flocks and herds. You're not going very fast, but you have this massive group. So they all start going out, and they've traveled now three days. You got to imagine when they first took off, they didn't know what to pack for. So they have how much water in their water skins? Well, where are you going to get enough water for 600,000 people? Well, they're a little bit worried because they're three days into the journey, their water is dried up, and they don't have any more. Is there anything wrong with panicking at that moment? No, not at all. I mean, that's where you start going, I don't like this trip. I hate camping. You understand what I'm saying, right? Well, it says they come upon a water source. I would imagine it's like a, a, a little lake. And they're like, finally, they run to the water. It looks clear. It looks good and they start to drink it and their body won't receive it. It is undrinkable, not because it's poisonous, but because it's so bitter that their body won't receive it. They couldn't even drink it if they tried. And you look and you go, what a horrible trick. I'm dying of thirst, here's water, I can't even drink it. That's just mean, God, right? What a terrible situation. It says that they began to grumble against God. Hmm, once again, doesn't it seem appropriate to have a little concern when one does not have water in the desert? There is nothing wrong with asking the question. I actually would suggest that if you're a thinking person, you would say, what the heck is going on? Does that make sense? I mean, that's just a normal way to react to it, but it says that they grumbled. You see, the grumbling was in the attitude. Seeking solutions from God is fine. Lashing him with your heart is not. 
Quick question for you. What's the difference between processing and complaining? It's what we do at Starbucks every day. <laughs> so let's talk about that. You have your friend there and you're going to talk about what is wrong. Are you processing or are you complaining? What's the difference? Mindset and attitude. Hmm. Our reactions show what our heart believes. If we easily blame God, then we hold him lesser than ourselves. Here's what that means. Why are you okay complaining? Complaining suggests something is wrong, as if you're owed something, and it's not going the way that you signed up for. A servant would never complain, because you weren't owed anything. We, when we begin to say, God, I can't believe this is happening, you're putting yourself above him to correct him. God, you've done it wrong. Who's to say he's done it wrong? Whatever he does is right. You don't get to correct him. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I'm lost. God, I'm scared. God, I don't understand. All of those are appropriate. What's not appropriate is, God, how could you? Do you understand the difference in attitude? Complaining versus processing. Now, who led them there? Who took them to the water that they can't drink? You go, well, Moses. Nope, that is incorrect. How do we know that? Well, if you go back in the story, here's what you find out. When they were first trying to escape Egypt, Egypt changed their mind and pursued them with an army. But God had to do something so the army didn't catch them. Do you remember this part of the story? If you're moving kids and little animals, you can't go as fast as the chariots and the horses that are pursuing you. So how did God stop the enemy to allow them to walk through the dry land of the Red Sea? Do you remember? A pillar of cloud. God manifested in the New Testament, it says that Jesus himself was present with them. The second person of the Trinity manifested in a pillar of cloud like a dense, thick fog layer that separated the bad guys from the good guys. So they could not get through it and be able to attack them. It allowed them to have enough time to get through. That then pulled into a column, and it says that throughout their 40 years, a pillar of cloud by day, and since you can't see clouds at night, it was a pillar of fire by night that directed and guided them. It says they did not move camp unless the cloud moved. Let me ask you again. Who led them to bitter water and was super disappointed? God. Would he do that? Would he lead us to difficult situations? Yes. You have to ask your question, why? Think about this. He, his solution to the whole issue was, hey, look, Moses, there's a log. Now, there is no such thing as a tree fixing undrinkable water, okay? That's not a thing. It's not like some little trick of the desert and all this stuff. Well, if you only had a tree, we'd drag it in, right? And I, when it says wood or log or tree, it's all the same thing. Now, when he said, I want you to drag this tree in there, it wasn't like a rooted tree where Moses is like, trying to push it over. You know, he's like, somebody help me out here. It was probably a fallen tree, and it probably wasn't a whole tree, because that would be a lot. It was probably a branch, 
a piece of the tree. So then he said, I want you to drag it in. Now, there was no thing where Moses is like, oh, good point. Yeah, the, the, the wood and the water thing. What he would have said is, I'm sorry, Lord, did I hear you right? Bring a what into a what? Okay, that's dumb. And what's intriguing about that is I have to ask you a question. Why does God always have us do dumb stuff? Think about it this, this way. Speaking in tongues. I don't know how many of you have a prayer language or if you've ever experienced speaking in tongues in a corporate language, but here's the deal. You sound weird. It sounds actually very silly, and when you're doing it, it feels even weirder. Why in the world would God do it that way? He could have done it a million other ways. As a matter of fact, all of a sudden it starts being a little bit odd. You know Jesus could speak to a blind guy and heal him. He could have done it with a thought, and yet one time he has to spit in the mud, make mud, and put it on the guy's eyes. Why in the world does God keep forcing us to do things that are embarrassing? You know the answer? It's because pride is such a problem for us. If pride wasn't such a big deal, he'd probably have us do cool stuff. But you see, we always think that we're bigger than everybody else. And Lord, I'm not going to do that. That's embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. That would make me look awkward. I'm not going to do that. That's foolish. And God said, I know. That's why it's that way. You see, until you get over yourself, there are no miracles for you. It says that he tested them there. What was the test? Well, I don't know. I shared with you before that they already had all these walls up because for generations they've been calling out to God to be saved and he was quiet. Many of you have stuff in your past where you called out to God and he didn't fix it. How in the world is God supposed to build trust with you after that? Well, you go, well, then God, the rest of their lives, you just do everything they ask. No, because then you just think that things changed. You know the best way to restore trust is to walk through difficulty together and show yourself consistent. So wouldn't it make sense that the next thing God has them do is walk into difficulty? You say, but Lord, I've had enough difficulty in my life. He said, I know, but I'm with you right now. And I need you to walk through difficulty and I need you to know I'm right there because we're going to develop together. And you go, man, this is so weird. No, it's not. It's how we handle babies. Do you not realize that the way we train babies to walk from the baby's perspective makes us monstrous? Yeah? If babies were to vote, they would vote you horrible parent. Because here's how you teach a baby to walk. You put them up on their little feet, which normally you used to hold their little hands, right? And they'd be like, oh, this is super fun. Then you let go and back up. What is wrong with you? Baby goes, dude, I'm going to fall over. And you go, I know. Oh, eh. then what do you do? You set them back up again for failure. And the baby's looking at you like, man, can I, I save the receipt? Can I get another parent? Like, this is terrible. And then you get them to walk a little bit. And when they get near you, what do you do? You back up. Why would you do that if you love the child? Because you knew the baby was born to walk. And it would be harm to carry it for the rest of its life. Yeah? 
So let me ask you this. When you first get saved with Jesus, he holds you so close and everything seems so beautiful and then all of a sudden hard stuff starts coming. And you say, God, where are you? And he said, I'm over here. And he makes you walk on your own. You say, Lord, you're being mean to me. And he said, no, you were born to fly. You see, it's so important that we realize we will never fully track on God's brilliance. And the reason why is not only does it create the necessary humility that allows God to function in our lives, but it creates space for God to move. If there is no mystery, there is no miracle. Do you understand? We desperately need mystery because when we add up everything in this life, it will not be sufficient for our spirit. One of the most depressing books in the Bible, I recommend reading it when you're depressed, (laughs) is the book of Ecclesiastes, right? You just want to ram your head through a wall when you get done with that one. And here's why. Why is this man in the world, Solomon, analyzes the full world and here's what he comes up with. It's not enough. This isn't it. This can't be it. And the more I look at this world and realize it's lack, I'm getting worse and worse. If this world is all that there is, hope is nowhere to be found. But if there's something more than this world, then hope is right around the corner. You see, the power of hope is extraordinary. If there is mystery, there is hope. How do you think that I've gone through my life with mental health issues? Because I know that at any moment, any day, God can heal me. And if he doesn't, He's walking with me and bringing me treasures along the way. How does my wife go through the last six years of physical health issues? Because she knows that any moment, at any time, God can heal her. And there's always a way to keep going. I don't understand living in this world without an understanding of a supernatural God that is in control of all things. You take God out, you take hope out. I'll just tell you that. We have to know that God is greater than we are. All right, let me land this plane. In the medieval period, the Christian church was looking back at this story, and the leaders came up with some interesting ideas. Some modern scholars say that it's garbage. I think it's legit. I'm going to read you three verses, see if you can put together the dots, right? Here we go. Deuteronomy 21, 22. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. That was cheery. Okay? Put that one on your fridge. (laughs) Acts 5.30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging on a tree... And God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Got one more. Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Are you tracking? Is it an accident that the same word for log is the same word for tree is the same word for cross? Hmm. Is it possible 
that when you are in a situation where you are in desperate need and you can't drink and everything is bitter, but it's only when the cross is brought into it does it become sweet. Is it possible that way back there so many thousands of years ago, Moses drug the cross into a terrible situation and it became a blessing? You see, it's very odd that we carry around on our necks and our jewelry a piece of wood where we say is one of the most powerful, iconic images in all the planet. And what is it? It's a cross. It's just wood and a cross beam hewn out of a tree. Because to us, it means so much more. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are saved, it's the power of God. You know how stupid it looked for Moses to drag a log into the water? I'll tell you, it looked about as foolish as saying the way that you get salvation to heaven is by believing in Jesus. Because that doesn't sound right, right? How are we going to get to heaven? You know what we want to do? We create religion. Religion says, I have to earn it. I have to purify myself. I have to handle everything right. I got to climb my way up to God. Then I'll be able to get it. And you know what the problem with that is? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, you don't have anything to bring to the table. It's all me or nothing. I would love to have you strive, but you can't get anywhere. What I need you to do is trust me. I need you to let go of your life and let me handle it. But I need you to get into the headspace that this whole reality is about me. I built it, I sustain it, I'll destroy it, I'll rebuild it, and I'm the savior of it. So when I ask you, do you want me? The only thing you bring to the table is a willing heart. I know it sounds foolish. I know it's about as dumb as dragging a log into water. All I'm telling you is I can make your bitter situation sweet. You guys, there is so much we don't know. And that's why even more than our knowledge base, we need to build trust. You see, God has a lot for his children. Do you trust him? Are you willing to follow him? Even if he asks you to walk into foolish ways, even if he tells you to do silly things like pray to an invisible God that you can't hear audibly, are you willing to trust him when he tells you, my child, I know it's hard. I know you're suffering. And I know, yes, I could fix it. But right now, I need you to walk with me. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus teaching this odd message where he tells people, you never pour old wine into new wineskins. You guys remember why? Wine has a fermentation process, which means it expands with gases. And if you put new wine into old wineskins that have already stretched and hardened, it will tear them because it needs more give. Is that correct? 
So if that is correct, then what is he talking about? He's talking about what the Pharisees did. You see, the Pharisees had already arrived. They figured they already had their mind wrapped around God. They already figured out their systematic theology. They were completely content saying saying they already knew how it all works. So when Jesus came in with new, fresh wine of ideas and a new covenant, they couldn't handle it or they're going to break. Here's my challenge for you. 2022 is going to mess with your head here at Bridgeway. Are you going to stretch? Do you have any more flexibility in you? Do you have any more ability to grow? Or have you been in the Lord too long to where you've become hardened and resistant? All I'm trying to tell you is there's more. And if we say we're done, then miracles aren't for us. And I believe that there's a lot of miracles God wants to do. Amen? Let me just close and pray, right? Heavenly Father, you are the brilliant one. May you teach us little by little how to trust you more. God, you're the only one that knows what's really going on. We want to be the children that say yes. We want to be the ones that have everything you desire and nothing of the enemy. God, there's some ways in our lives where we're living for ourselves we're shaped by this world, and I know that's not your best for us. So I just pray, Lord, in this coming year that we would be blessed by you to have our eyes opened to chase after you. That, God, that we would never say things like, well, that's not, that doesn't look good for me. But we would always say, Lord, whatever glorifies you, God, I just pray excitement and anticipation and blessing into every heart today. I pray that we would walk out of here thinking, God, you've got more, you've got more, you've got more, and that we would fall in love with you with every revelation. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would restore our awe in the name of Jesus. Amen.